I'm ready whenever you want. Okay. And then I sent you those questions. Um, usually I don't even get to any of those questions, but I like to have them as a backup just in case, you know, something happens or I have a brain fart or, or something like that. So, uh, but usually the conversation just, you know, carries its way through the, the hour. And I'm, I'm thinking of going between 50 and 60 minutes uh, for this. So um, I think that's all on my end. Do you have any questions before we get started? No. Cool. All right. Well, everybody, how's it going? What's up? My name is Seth, your host for Apollineering. Welcome to the channel, guys. Um, I hope you're having a great day. I know it's a great day. We got the Skywatch Conference going on in Branson, Missouri. Um, Josh Peck, Stephen Bancars, Tom Horn, uh, Michael Heiser, Derek Gilbert, Sharon Gilbert, the whole crew is there and they're giving presentations on topics uh, for their cutting edge research. And I'm super, I've been tuning in all day listening to it. I was actually just listening to Derek Gilbert's presentation on Islam, the old gods and, and uh, man, super informative just to learn uh, a little bit about where the gods, yes, the gods of Islam came from. And um, they're actually very, very ancient. And so it's very fascinating to learn about how that stuff like ties into biblical history and the points that God is making in the word and everything like that. So um, if you guys haven't signed up for that, there's live streaming, uh, on-demand streaming available for that. Make sure you guys check that out. It's super good. You don't want to miss that. Um, but Today we have a great interview. Today's topic is going to be occult Hollywood, and William has uh, just released a new documentary, so I'm super excited to dive into this. Um, I was able to um, screen it for him and, and offer some comments, and he uh, politely, uh, you know, uh, accepted some of them, and uh, it turned out to be a great film, very informative, very um, cutting edge, uh, something that I haven't seen anywhere else. So. Um, as we go through today, make sure that you guys look up on Vimeo for that. The trailer's on YouTube. You guys can check that out. Um, but I also want to give a plug here for The Daily Renegade. So The Daily Renegade is a uh, – it's becoming like a Netflix of Christian fringe topics, um, shows, uh, articles, uh, the whole shebang, man. Anything that you want, if you're interested in – uh, the Nephilim, if you're interested in Genesis 6 conspiracies, if you're interested in um, prophecy and eschatology, if you're interested in apologetics, um, man, this is the place for you. And so uh, it's quickly becoming a huge thing. We have 12 shows already on the Daily Renegade, and Josh is bringing in more shows left and right. I don't even know how we're going to keep up with, with doing everything that we're doing, posting all, everything and, and making sure that you guys are getting the information you want in a professional manner. And so if you guys are interested in that, make sure you guys check out the link in the description below. It'll take you, you could sign up to become a member for 10 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year. It's super cheap. It's less than a, coffee, a cup of coffee a day. And um, man, it's worth it. You get a whole slew of shows, including shows from uh, myself. You get shows from Ryan Peterson, from Gary Wayne, from uh, Jared Cressman, and, and the whole, um, uh, you get the Daily Peck Report with Josh, and uh, Christina just started her own show. Man, so you're getting a lot of content <laughs> put out there, and it's it's just a great place. It's also a place for fellowship. So if you don't have a church that you're attending, or if you feel ostracized at the church that you're going to because uh, people aren't really interested in the topics, well, 
it's also a place for you because uh, we have a message board. We have a place where interaction can occur. It's almost like a little social media within the site, and you're able to communicate with other people who, who have similar views on the Bible that you do, who have realized that this is a supernatural book, that there's supernatural events happening, and, um, and they're aware of that. So if you're interested in that, again, check out The Daily Renegade. It's, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited for our future and, and where we're going to be going. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce William and then uh, we'll talk about his documentary today. I think it's going to be a great discussion. So uh, attorney, author, and researcher William Ramsey is a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley with a degree in history. Mr. Ramsey also has a JD and is a member of the State Bar of California. He has written Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order, Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, and Child of the Beast, Aleister Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity. William Ramsey has also made two documentaries, Occult Hollywood, Volume 1, and Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. And I think you need to update that because you have three, right? <laughs> That's true. Well, good point. I was just about to say that. Smiley. Well, how's it going today, man? I'm so glad that you could be on the show with me. Seth, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. So uh, today I kind of want to just start a little bit. Uh, this is kind of how I start with all new guests that I bring on is just, um, you know, introducing yourself, kind of giving us a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from. Um, you know, as a lawyer, getting into some of these fringe topics uh, is, is kind of um, taboo, I guess you could say. And so how did, how did you end up... Um, you know, coming to Jesus and, and all that surveying. So uh, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I was raised Catholic. So I was definitely a, from a Catholic family. I went to church, uh, Catholic church. I went to confession. And, uh, you know, as I grew older, I became more and more curious instead of kind of accepting what I had been spoon fed. And I, I was always kind of suspicious of the priests. I still am. But I was always kind of suspicious about the structure of the Catholic Church, which led me really to read uh, books. I was very inquisitive. So I would read books on history. I would read books on religions. And then really the most important thing I did was to get a copy of Scripture and read it for myself. So I just got a King James Bible and read it from the beginning to the end and then flipped it over and read it again and then read the New Testament. And that was really the most important thing. That was probably when I was 17 or 18 was really to figure out what was truth. You know, like that question that uh, Paul was asked, what is truth? So for me, it was really about reading and comparing. And I read a lot of other stuff. I was interested in religion. I kind of was trying to figure out Islam. I knew that wasn't for me. I was interested in the Old Testament. But really what the most important thing for me was the figure of Jesus Christ and whether this unique tale was true, was the story of this person who had unique teachings and then claimed to be the son of God and was resurrected. Is that true? And for me, through, um, through reading the Bible and praying a lot, that was confirmed to me. And so I really would define myself as a Bible-believing Christian, although I do go to Presbyterian Church. I would say for me, you know, the proof of Christ's existence and a supernatural thing was very real. And it wasn't something that was real to me when I was younger. So uh, that kind of led me to change kind of 
my perspective on life, I was very fortunate to have that thing because then I really wanted to figure out other things. I got an education and, you know, it's just led me down to different plateaus of understanding. Like I thought I ascended, you know, to kind of a mountaintop. And when I got on top of the mountaintop, it was a plateau. So I've just been climbing a, a series. Now I'm 50. I just turned 50. So uh, that's really where it started. So my testimony of Christ is that the Bible's true, that uh, I'm really, I would say, I don't like the word fundamentalist, but I'm a Jesus Christ overall. So uh, that's the most important thing to me. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of, that's a kind of my personal testimony. Yeah, that's, and it's fascinating to me because, um, you know, you said you grew up Catholic. I, from most of my Catholic friends, and I don't want to place this on everybody because I don't think all Catholics are like this, especially when you talk about like the Jesuits or things like that. But a lot of Catholics, um, they kind of miss out on the supernatural aspect of the Bible, of our world in general, because, you know, it's, it's ritualistic, it's traditional, you know, um, Catholicism is, at least here in America, and, and it may be different in Mexico or some of those other Spanish-speaking places, but especially in America, I just feel like it's been so unsupernaturalized that uh whenever you talk about some of these things like um you know the angels descending on mount hermon and mating with with human women they're like what like no that can't happen um and so it's it's just fascinating to me where you've ended up from from where you began uh began you know learning some of this stuff being kind of almost indoctrinated into catholicism and and now writing about alistair crowley you know the 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 beast, the, you know, the 666, like, it's just, it's, it's cool to me to see where God has brought you. And so, um, I haven't, I have a question though. You, uh, I mean, you got a law degree and then you were, um, what's that? Oh, dang, hang on. I think that's you. Yeah. Someone called me and, um, and then I had the conference playing on in the background. So that was Derek's voice. You just heard. Okay. <laughs> Um, but okay. So my question to you, William, is that, um, you know, you, you said you got a, a, a degree in history and then you got a degree in law. What made you go down those two paths? And then how has that kind of aided in the work that you're doing now? That's a great question. I mean, I think I became much more curious in a worldly knowledge sense, much more. Cause I think my hand when I was younger, I think my understanding of really kind of worldly history and things like that were things I was curious about. And I definitely think that the training that I had and kind of the, the what I learned in school was very worthwhile for me. Um, I definitely would go, if I did it again, I'd probably do it a lot differently. But uh, I think that it, 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 it also kind of, I, I, because of the concentrations on those different subjects, history and law, then it was like I was satisfied understanding that. I was satisfied with my religious thing. And then I was trying to figure out well, what's this other thing? What are these other subjects? So I was willing to kind of read um, other stuff. And I think that that kind of my, uh, kind of an inquisitiveness and also what's the truth of this thing? You know, it's probably the original question I asked when I was 17 or 18 reading the Bible, you know, by myself and trying to figure it out. So I think that that kind of inquisitiveness is the same thing that led me to write these books. And also the fact that I don't think people were, uh, talking about these subjects that I thought were very, very important. I still think that what I've written about, you know, fulfills kind of what is it exposing evil. So I think, uh, 
that's that's primarily what my work involves is is really talking about things that others it's not fashionable to talk about or they're too afraid or they convinced that it's not real yeah and and one thing that i've noticed in your books is that you do present a lot of history i mean because whenever you dive into someone's uh you know ideology you really have to understand its origin and where it came from so that that lends itself to to understanding the history behind it so um getting a kind of secular history degree did you find that what you were researching was a lot different than what you had been taught or or was it the same (laughs) well there's definitely biases you know when that's like one of the things that you get from a secular two secular universities so you know, that's what I was saying. If I did it again, I would really consider going to a Christian school. I think that's probably where I belonged. But, uh, um, you know, you know, you learn the bias. You learn how to, you know, you learn the technique to survive, to tell whatever professor is telling you what to believe. If you want a good grade, you don't, uh, you, you don't rock the boat, so to speak. So I definitely had some different ideas. Um, then I would say, but I think they, the professors probably did too. And we're not allowed to have a lot of unique um, outlooks. They had to kind of toe the line as well. So you kind of just get that idea from just the academic environment, universal university system. But um, there's definitely different, I mean, they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't have uh, that. So I think that that's a lot different. Like I actually, I have a, definitely a biblical worldview which is a lot different than that so yeah and and uh gosh i feel like that's a diminishing aspect of christianity today is that we're we're beginning we're getting more and more of a scientific worldview rather than a biblical worldview and we're trying to look at circumstances and our lives through this scientific lens rather than viewing it through the lens of scripture and viewing it through um that supernatural lens in a in a healthy manner because it's so easy to look at our lives through you know the physical realm about what's going on but you know without realizing that there's something else in a different dimension maybe affecting that you know so um okay good well i want to get to the good meat of today's topic and so we're going to be discussing your new documentary so can you give us an overview on what it is and then the motivation for why you made it well, I, I think it's really kind of more of a visual study of things that I had learned about the occult. So I made a first documentary, I think 2011, which is rudimentary on iTunes, a collection of things in numer- really numerology and kind of other more occult subjects. And this is kind of an upgrade, and I decided to break it down upon people who were either involved in the cult, knew Crow- Alistair Crowley, who uh, believed he was Satan's prophet. You know, So that's why I titled my book and film Prophet of Evil. Um, So then people could see that there are these occult supernatural forces and ideas that are, have been integrated into uh, cinema that you're watching passively. So, uh, you know, I cover some people that people don't know and then more common, you know, commonly known people like Kubrick, uh, Oliver Stone, commonly known. And the one was a guy by the name of Donald Camel, who not a lot of people know, but he literally sat on Aleister Crowley's knee and was uh, what I believe to be a very serious occultist, along with Kubrick, actually, for that matter. So, uh, you know, that was kind of how I broke. And Dennis Wheatley was another, was a book writer who was influ- influenced uh, Ian Fleming, who wrote the Bond no- novels. 
And as you, as you noted that uh, he was friends with Christopher Lee, who suffuses the occult history of cinema, really, if you really talk about him. And he, you know, I tried to show firsthand that these guys were very knowledgeable about occult ideas and were familiar with the, the doctrines of the occult. So I really tried to portray that in the film and show people that it's there, even though it's kind of hidden or it's cryptic. It really, occult ideas really are in modern cinema. Yeah, and as I was watching your film, and just ever since kind of diving into some of this research for myself, you know, looking into more occult practices and symbolism and understanding the history of everything, it's really not hidden. Like, they they kind of just throw it out there. But the thing is, is that they rely on the, the apathy of their viewers to not have done their research. And so we're just getting subliminal messages through what they're preaching, through their shows, or or television shows or their movies or even the music that we're listening to and, and so the people, um, right. the people who are in the know set see these numbers they see the numerology of the 1177 i was surprised to find how prevalent 11s were with stanley kubrick movies that i had seen but didn't understand so i really perceive him as a real cult uh kind of giant like a magus really uh in a way that i didn't before yeah, and I mean the eleven isn't going anywhere. I mean, with the <laughs> the uh, the biggest TV show, right? Who's the main character? Right, eleven. Eleven. Right. <laughs> I, I did a study for that. It wasn't in my movie, but they. I mean, I'm sure they've heard one of my shows. I think I talked to uh, John Pounders of Now You See TV. If anybody wants to listen to that, and I was like, this is like straight out of all my lectures. The um, Demogorgon is one of the seventy-seven names of Satan. There's a smiley face at the end of season six. There's 11. They do word plays with 77. So they've got the kind of occult numerology down. Mm. It's really, they did a remarkable job, but uh, yeah, the 11's right there, the main character with magic, right? So. And I have a question for you, uh, kind of being, you know, uh, living in California and then just doing what you've been doing. Do you know a lot about the Duffer brothers? Like, uh, where they came from and and their influence and why they decided to write Stranger Things? No, that's a great question. I, I wish I did know. I think it was one of their first pieces, but uh, my understanding is they were actually doing something on um, another kind of parapolitical conspiracy topic, which is uh, the city that's, what's the city out on Long Beach? That Montauk? They, yeah, Montauk. That was supposed to be the working title of Stranger Things. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Elements yeah. of that, like the underground base concept. Right. Things like that. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Do you know much about the Duffer Brothers? I don't know. Well, I, and it's interesting because I was, um, I wanted to do a show on Stranger Things um, it, here in the near future. And so I was kind of looking into a little bit about the Duffer Brothers. And like you were saying, I don't know a whole lot. I just did like 10 minutes of looking up stuff online yesterday. So I haven't really done an adequate amount of research, but um, yeah, they were the, they originally had a script that was called um, Project Montauk, which it, for you guys who are listening, if you don't know about Project Montauk, you, that is like the foundation for uh, not only stranger things, but also for like the elite, like their whole goal is to brainwash these kids and to, um, 
to really have like these assassins like integrated into America and um, split personalities, study the psyche. That was all going on at Project Mo- in, in Montauk for Project Montauk. And, and so they originally it developed the show, like you were saying, off of that name. And um, the um, I think Netflix told them that they have to change the name because it was too conspiratorial, because it was it would push away viewers and um, – has it been confirmed? I don't, I'm not familiar that much about Montauk. Has it been confirmed that that was a real program? I, or was that just some kind of uh, conspiracy? Because I remember, wasn't there a story about a ship that was materialized? And yeah, that was that was the Philadelphia experiment, um, which was being done around that same time. And the reason that the Philadelphia experiment was done was because um, that was back during World War II, kind of towards the end of World War II, uh, when the U-boats from the Germans were were um, they were having great effect on the U.S. Navy. And so the U.S. Navy was looking into how can we um, camouflage or uh, hide ourselves out at sea from these U-boats. And so they were trying this experiment in a port in, I think it was in, uh, it may have been off Philadelphia. That's where the name comes from. Okay. I thought there was some kind of a, something about that story that was attached to Montauk. I, you know, I don't have my facts read about that. I apologize. Yeah. And, and uh, so, but Project Montauk, I, I think it has been confirmed. Um, I, I there's a guy you've probably heard of him. His name is Stuart Swerdlow, and he was yeah, supposedly he was an alleged uh, person that came out of Project Montauk, and so he's been like the big voice for it. But um, uh, well, you know, Chad Riley. I'm what's sorry. That? I'm sorry. Please no, it's okay. I was just gonna say Chad Riley, Justin Fall, Westfall, and or not West. Um, who was it? They had a they had a show on it pretty recently where they discussed. Uh, Project Mom Talk because they had a they had a show on Stranger Things, um, oh. but uh, so y- you guys could go check that one out too. That's really good. It's on it's on their Fourth Watch Radio, um, which is really good. But uh, all that to say, guys, is that <laughs> things are not as simple or as straightforward as they may seem. And t- and you're I mean, and we're just talking about movies. Like we sit down and we watch a movie with our family. We don't really want to worry about any of this satanic crap that goes on but it's there and they do it on purpose and um so that's kind of what i wanted to get into next william was um i you know we we brought up christopher lee and christopher lee is has a very long um you know uh resume for acting he's been in everything i mean he was saruman and lord of the rings he was uh he played uh to a devil a daughter which is not a lot of people know that he did that film but he was in that he played a satanic catholic priest and so um the question that i have for you and what you've looked into is are these actors just acting out in the films or and they separate this from real life or is this kind of um, is something that they take into their everyday practice or, or what would you say to that? That's a great question. It's hard to say. I think in the specifics of Christopher Lee, he lived he very, very old, but I covered him in detail because Dennis Wheatley was friends with him and Dennis Wheatley knew Aleister Crowley. And one of his first villains was based upon Crowley. Wheatley knew Fleming. So all these guys are kind of in the same environment. And the rumor about Christopher Lee is that he had one of the biggest occult books uh, so, uh, collections of that time. And there's a question that's asked to him in the movie. He's like, "How many? I heard that you have the biggest book. And he says only four or five and people laugh. But I think that he's 
actually deflecting that. So he definitely was as a kind of a malevolent character in a lot of these films, particularly the wicker man, which is like an kind of like, uh, brings to mind this movie Midsummer that just came out, which is also yeah. big in sacrifice. I haven't seen this Midsummer yet, but I heard it's pretty brutal, but uh wicker man is very terrifying. And, uh, so Christopher Lee, whether he's actually acting out some of the knowledge that he knows, it's hard to say. I don't know. But I think that some of them definitely do. I think some of these guys are definitely involved in occultism and are um, involved in, in movies knowing. I mean, you could probably, like, I think Nicolas Cage knows full well all about the occult. and has been in a variety of different, like, national treasure that involves kind of occult uh, artifacts. He was in this movie, um, The World Trade Center, which I show in my film. Clearly has like a 93 Aleister Crowley's number. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that, that that film is kind of like, uh, <clears throat> to me, it's kind of a propaganda piece by Oliver Stone. You see that Stone knows some of these, this numerology that included in Natural Born Killers. So uh, I do think that they know, and I think that Hollywood really is a, an epicenter of uh kind of the secret religion so even the name hollywood people talk about it referring to the holly tree that you make a wand out of so i think really from the beginning it attracted people of that type and i don't think that people of kind of a christian background are really welcome at all in hollywood uh so and there's all kinds of dark stuff that happens under the surface there so yeah uh, to say that they're all into the occult, I you know, it's hard for me to tell, but I could name names. Johnny Depp is an occultist, and his films all involve, involve some type of occult principles. In general, I, I can't say all. But there's a very significant amount. And the movie that I covered was when he was uh, with Roman Polanski, who's relevant today because the 50th anniversary of the satanic influence murders of uh, Sharon Tate and the LaBianca family are August 8th. So they're really only about six days away. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I do think that, uh, you know, some of these actors, like you definitely know, definitely know the cult. I think Johnny Depp is heavily involved in the cult. And I cover him in a lot of my videos about the West Memphis Three murders because he was a supporter of Damien Eccles, who was killing three eight year old kids. He's yeah. also kind of a cause celeb person in all these Hollywood types. You could go through the list of Hollywood people who, um, supported their release so in 2011 so there's a there's definitely an occult hollywood tie-in with that murder yeah gosh it's and it's fascinating so i i guess that kind of lends to the the question then like should we as christians or people who claim to know jesus like um support these people by like paying to see their movies and like supporting their lifestyle and all that kind of like what is your view on that like where do you toe the line or where's the line drawn that's a good question i mean i think that like like people like it's important to know these things but also to support them i think is a huge mistake and i think as far as uh followers of christ it's important to create that kind of uh economy or kingdom amongst ourselves you know create our own influence of this kind of media that really would block out any even mention of of jesus christ so i think that um at least i mean i don't know like there's a place to go see marvel's movies or you know 
I don't really have any really gripes with that, but or they're those types of films. But as far as supporting their cultism or any kind of wickedness they're involved in, no, I wouldn't support that. I wouldn't agree to support with that at all. Yeah, and it, the reason I ask that is because, um, and I guess you kind of too have to take in your own, like you, your own spiritual sensitivity, I guess, because uh, I'm just going to give an example for me and my wife, like um, for Doctor Strange. So Doctor Strange, if you guys aren't aware, is a movie that deals heavily in the occult because, uh, you know, this guy named Stephen Strange, who's a neurosurgeon, gets injured and he has shaky hands, right? And so he's looking for physical healing. Well, uh, you know, in the occult, there's a lot of physical healing that takes place, you know, through new age practices, through through occult ceremonies and things like that. And so we started to watch this movie and my, and my wife about 10 minutes in was like, Mm-mm, not watching it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and she's like, you're not going to watch it in our house either. And I was like, dang it, but it looks so good. And, um, you know, and so I don't have that kind of sensitivity. And so I guess we do have to take that into account, you know, when we are watching this, like for example, the ninth circle or uh, to, to a devil, uh, his daughter, like those, those are pretty, uh, if you're spiritually sensitive, those are hard movies to watch because uh, they are so evil. They, they, I mean, even watching your video with some of the child sacrifice that was going on in a few of the scenes, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I can't believe that this is actually being filmed. Like what? And so um, anyway, all that to say is, you know, when you guys, when we sit down and we watch movies, we have to pray the blood of Jesus over us. We can't just go in, let our brains turn off. And, and because the enemy is trying to communicate with you through these televisions. In fact, Steve Quayle in his book, Empire Beneath the Ice, he goes into talking about how TVs in the future could act as portals for entities to come through and influence you. And it, I mean, with the way the AI is going, with the way that 5G is going to be rolling out, I don't see that. I, I mean, I do see that as a possibility. Possibility, and it's crazy to imagine, but with like the crystalline structure of the screens and everything, it just gives way to that new age crystal ideology. And so, um, that uh, you know, so that goes into to my next question. With do- talking about Doctor Strange, was you know the director of Doctor Strange, which is Derek Strickland, he um, he claims to be a Christian, and so. Uh, so the question then is, why would you propagate all of this New Age, Hindu, Buddhist ideology as the, you know, the foundation for this hero, um, but then claim to, you know, know Christ who, who adamantly opposes all of those teachings? And so um, it, I guess my question then is, how do we, um, can, can the gospel and stuff be portrayed through evil like that or or do we have to separate the two and and draw that line like hey you're a christian you can't like write scripts like this and and say this or or what are your thoughts about that well that's a tough question i mean i think uh you know for me i wouldn't be able to do something like that promote occult teachings or practices but um you know i think that that's just really where i'm at i think that somebody else makes that other decision i you know so yeah, like for me, I would, I just couldn't go. Yeah, I, could, <laughs> I think it's a tough one because people grow up with their dreams to be a Hollywood director or something. They get an opportunity to follow that dream and say, "Here's your project," and you go, 
Okay, I guess so. Maybe that was Strickland's decision. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to work on that type of project personally. So. Yeah, and and same for me. I, and for example, I mean, we bring up Avengers just because it's like the biggest thing in the world right now. But I mean, all of those those heroes are they're they become heroes through like occult means, really. Okay. I mean, um, you know, whether it be assassin training for Black Widow and Hawkeye, or whether it be. Um, you know, Spider-Man being bitten by this radioactive spider and, and all this kind of stuff. So Even the, just, or, the origins of the X-Men come out of uh, a place called Magical Child in New York City, where the guy who wrote it, whose name I forget, was friends with uh, the guy who wrote the Necronomicon. So the X oh symbol God. itself comes from the occult. That X inside the circle, you can see it on Aleister Crowley's Seal of Babylon. Yeah. So um, there is an occult, at the very formation of the X-Men. They all have a cold power, so. I, I know, and and for me, also, I was just, because I, I was going with that was, like, I couldn't play, like, Thor, who's this Nordic god, you know, who, who you know, claims to be, have all of these, like, above these people and exercises authority over them, almost claiming to be Yahweh. And, and I don't know much of the origin of the Nordic God Thor, but I'm sure he's probably related. He's the storm God. So he must be related to like uh, Baal in the Bible and, um, and, and along those lines. So it's like, why, like for me, I, I'm the same with you. I'm like, why would you ever want to step into a role where you're playing a guy who God Yahweh tries to obliterate who, who, wants his people to obliterate people who to worship this God. And so right. um, the guy's name was Peter Lavenda. So Lavenda dated the wife or girlfriend of the guy who wrote the X-Men who started the X-Men comic. Dang, that's nuts. Yeah, so they're in the same circles. Yeah. Me and Peter Lavenda. But, but it makes so much sense. I mean, you look at the whole, the whole school and the way that they teach their, the, right. no, it's like an occult secret society, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you come in, you've got a headmaster. You're supposed to fulfill these roles or do these duties. We're all different than everybody else. It's basically like Harry Potter, right? So, yeah, I'll, I don't know what the manner is called, but it's kind don't of like even Robert. get me started on <laughs> Harry, well, Harry Potter. Potter, right? So, Harry Potter, here's your 11s again. Harry Potter added together is an 11, and he had 11 inch uh, wand. So, they're, they're abiding by the same numerology and, and practices of magic and probably the most uh watched but probably over the lord of the wings the most watched movie series in history right so all of these kids are being exposed to this without really any critical analysis and you can get into all the um alchemical stuff even harry potter the name itself is an alchemical name right so you're yeah. using the clay she jk rowling you know that the k and her name isn't real that she and she put the k in the middle and the k is the 11th letter of the alphabet and she I, I would probably surmise and i could make this argument i had this conversation a few times that she probably was a front person for people writing that book that she probably didn't the whole the whole inception narrative of harry potter is fake and like where she she goes to this restaurant starbucks or whatever and starts yeah, writing a napkin right. she's and a single mom and she just had an idea and she just comes up with this book and the, there are some really interesting interviews in the very beginning of her her career where she there's a guy over her shoulder they're talking together so 
Um, just like Shakespeare, I don't think actually Shakespeare wrote all the Shakespeare plays, maybe some of the sonnets, but it was probably the invisible college. It was some out of Rosicrucianism to, uh, to, and there, you know, there's actually some kind of weird invisible college right now amongst all these tech, uh, tech guys, they all get together. I forgot there was a researcher who was talking about that. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if she was a front for a group who wanted to have these ideas exposed to the whole global populace. So she's just a front. Dude, um, gosh, that makes so much sense. And I was going to actually ask you what your thoughts were on her because, I mean, the Harry Potter series has had so much influence over our culture. I mean, you look at, I mean, it's being even, I went to a Catholic uh, college, uh, private Catholic school up in Helena, Montana, and we had, there was a theology course through Harry Potter, where they went through the Harry Potter books, teaching theology out of those books. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. That's the opposite of theology. But the, uh, there's one other point. Um, yeah, but it's, it's really crazy about her, her story. So yeah, no, Harry Potter, there was like, I I remember from the first book, they mentioned this guy, Nicholas Flamel, who was a known alchemist. So there's all kinds of modern alchemy in Harry Potter, but uh, yeah, I mean, if it's just hard to believe that story. Yeah, if you look at like a lot of musicians too, they never talk about it, but a lot of musicians don't even write their own songs; they just perform them, right? So what if she's in like the same role? She signed a whole bunch of NDAs. You're going to be our front person, and uh, this is it. You know, this is your book. This is our book. You'll get a cut of it. The thing that, that is crazy to me, so I, I almost think in that, if, if let's say J.K. Rowling's uh, um, whole U- Harry Potter universe was written by her, let's just say that that was the case, it would almost seem to me like with every, like that, to develop a, a world like that, um, and, and, and this, I wanted to ask you about this too, since we're talking about, you know, Harry Potter, um, it, it reminds me of like Alice Bailey or um, right. Helena Blavatsky with their automatic writing, you know, getting this, this, all of this input through channeling their masters. Right. And, and uh, then this, this lady, Margaret, Willie, uh, whatever, Willie, Marianne Williamson is running for the Democratic presidential. She's a devotee of a fully channeled book, Course in Miracles, totally channeled by spirits. So it's right in front of your face if you're watching. So this is somebody who's like on the debates and being exposed to all these people, man. So yeah. and Crowley himself did a lot of channel. I mean, you could argue the Book of the Law was channeled. Um, the Book of Mormon channeled. You could probably argue that even the Quran is channeled. Yeah. Well, it was, right? Because, I mean, that's that's history. I mean, Muhammad was writing what – because he didn't have an education. Like. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, it's just crazy. But so I want to ask you then, so because we have, what I've noticed in discussion with a lot of friends, because I'm anti Harry Potter, I'm like, I'm not even gonna mess around with that. But what a lot of my Christian friends will bring up then is uh, the Lord of the Rings and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you see those as different than Harry Potter? If there is a difference. Well, I would say Harry Potter is definitely exposing you to witchcraft. I would say that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis are writers of a different stripe. 
So Tolkien was, I think, a known Catholic. So is C.S. Lewis. So they're probably just writing books that have different themes of, uh, you know, different. So I would, you know, I would say that they're, they're, they're distinctly different. Whether, uh, whether the book, uh, the Lord of the Rings is a Christian book is another question. It's got its own little, has its own universe. I don't, maybe it has Christian themes in it. I've heard of Christians teaching out of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, I never was a friend, fan of, uh, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, The Book in the Wardrobe, is that what it was? Yeah. And so I didn't really digest that. What are your thoughts about that? Did you read those books? I, um, yeah, I did read them. Um, and it, they are akin to uh, Harry Potter. I mean, I don't think they have, from what I recall, I mean, this was years ago, back when I was in like elementary school. I should probably read them again, but um, I don't recall them having spells like uh, in the dialogue between characters. Um, now, in Lord of the Rings, you do get a lot of the elvish, um, you know, and then the wizards are, are saying their things. But, uh, you know, for it to be blatant witchcraft, because I, I've talked to a lot of ex-witches and a lot of ex-Satanists who say that a lot of the, uh, most of the spells in Harry that J.K. Rowling says are actual spells that are used. Oh, wow, I didn't know that incantations and and in ceremony um so it's not like these kids are just hearing innocent words like these these words have spiritual meaning behind them and actually do something in the spiritual realm and so for me that would be a huge difference between you know the proponents of of harry potter versus the proponents of c.s lewis and 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 tolkien um first of all their worldview right so the worldview of J.K. Rowling was whether she wrote it or not was witchcraft and and Wiccan and all of these other things. And then J.K. Rowling and C.S. Lewis or uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, whether you whatever your view on them, they had a more biblical worldview, I think, than Jake. And so they were writing through those worldviews and presenting elves and all these mythical fairy tale creatures through that lens and to create a story right and to get right. to get the gospel and so that's that kind of goes into you know back to the whole dr strange thing was i guess you can use these things to to teach the gospel to teach um to teach like the the truths of scripture and that you know to lay down one's life is the greatest source of love you know but then you find those themes in harry potter and so it's it, it's a hard road for me <laughs> because but i just stay away from from harry potter altogether for that reason but well here's the other thing right so you have like guys like c.s lewis g gk chesterton writing very poignant uh, very important Christian works, but also writing fiction. Mm-hmm. So if the viewer knows that one is nonfiction and one is fiction, doesn't that know that is, it, you know, don't you know, is it doesn't the reader know that they may not get total Christian doctrine out of this. And is it okay to, as a Christian to engage in the reading of fiction, you know? Yeah. I mean, is that for me as a reader? I mean, you don't have to be serious all the time. Is there a place for comedy? Is there a place for something like that? So for me, I think that there is a place for fiction. There's still something probably edifying from some of these uh, fictional tales, I'm sure, from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe 
And, you know, there's a lot of themes of, uh, within the uh, Lord of the Rings of fellowship, of community, of loyalty, uh, bravery, of courage, right? So you're still getting positive uh, moral lessons, maybe not in a Christian context. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's a tough question. You could probably write 10 books on the difference between, I think there's people out there who have, but uh, what's the what's the validity and edification of a fictional work? Yeah. Well, and I think you're right because that's a good point that you brought up is that JK Rowling hasn't written any theological books on Christianity, you know, and C.S. Lewis, like some of his mere Christianity and um, yeah, some of these other works that he wrote are, are considered by, you know, very high Christian theologians as one of the you know the best works that have ever been written and so we you you get an understanding of C.S. Lewis's worldview from those and then you can you can kind of see him portray that through his fiction which um I don't know if you've read Mike Heiser's fiction novels the facade series no incredible because he takes everything that he's been researching on aliens and UFOs and, and just implements it into this story and teaches theology through that. I mean, he's, it's just great. You should check it out. But so there you go. So you're getting a ostensible fictional teaching, but you're actually getting nonfiction thinking you're getting fiction, right? Right. Which is probably a common theme within a lot of films, right? So you have themes of transhumanism, either positive or negative. You have things, uh, themes of spiritualism, positive or negative. Some people are definitely integrating these in all these films that come out, uh, even recent films. So I think you have to kind of look at it at a, at a you know, book by book or film by film basis, right? So mm-hmm. but Mike Heiser is successfully sharing these ideas through a fictional novel. He's laying that foundation or the seed for somebody, oh, I remember that idea or concept from Heiser's third book. Oh, now I see it in real life. Bam. Right. So he's edified somebody through fiction. Right. And I guess that's a good way to communicate truth through film as well. I mean, you could take you could do the same thing as take some of these concepts and develop a story around it. And uh, people grasp onto that more because it's visual, because they're getting, you know, sound effects and all these different types of things. Um, and Look still, have- Let's take Charles Dickens, A Christmas Story, for example, mm-hmm. or It's a Wonderful Life by Capra, you know, not maybe maybe not obvious Christian teachings, but still so important for the human being to see their lives in a different perspective, right? Yeah. Frank Capra, if the guy wants to kill himself, then he goes and sees how many people he's going to miss. Then this grouchy old Ebenezer Scrooge sees (laughs) him right? Yeah. Still important teachings there. So you can see the validity of ostensibly fictional works are... Now, I mean, 1984 is another example. You can see the nightmare political spectrum through 1984, which is a fictional work, but a distillation of non-fictional history and culture. So um, that's tough. I think that as a Christian, I think think it goes back to what you said. You cannot sit down and look at something passively. Is this the, this thing I'm watching, am I going to still watch it with a Christian perspective and think about it and just discard what right. is worthwhile not i think that may be what it comes down to and, and ultimately you know if, if we're going to be uh if we're going to take scripture literally you know paul says to glorify god in everything that you do right and so 
is sitting down and watching this film going to be glorifying to God, you know, like as, 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 as cliche. Not, okay. Well, that's a good point. I mean, I don't know. So I guess everybody has a different thing. I actually think that in Christendom, it's okay to uh, have time downtime or um, engage in things that are mirthful and joyful. It's not all dredging yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. you know, if you go, I don't know. Yeah, so, I, I, I completely so you, agree with you. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a good, I think that asking questions, free inquiry, trying to figure out the best thing to do is even researching this dark occult stuff, right? I mean, I wouldn't research it if I knew it myself, right? Like yeah. I never knew, I never had that kind of exposure. I wouldn't have known, but it, now like I'm reading, watching 2001 in a much more occult way, it makes a lot more sense than what I watched when I was 12, right? So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think it just comes from just having a very critically and, and I think there's a spiritual truth there for reading your word because what you're doing is you're watching something in context, right? And if you don't know the context of the scripture you're reading, if you don't understand, you know, for example, in Psalm 82 that God – uh, Yahweh is talking to other Elohim and telling them that they're going to be judged as men. Uh, you, you don't, you don't get the real meaning of the scripture and what David was trying to portray and uh, by writing that Psalm. So uh, I think that's super vital as well. Just like you were saying, like now that you and are particularly for me, like since I've been doing research, I, I see that and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense why they did it like that because they're trying to get this across. Right. Uh, well, and I think that even if looking at kind of these occult things, then for me, I was actually thinking the other day about my first book, you know, about Alistair Crowley. It's actually, for me, it's a very Christian book, even though it doesn't really even talk that much about Christ because it validates and verifies the biblical worldview to a T for me. It's just like, right, when you're done reading that, you go, this guy's a devil worshiper. He just disguised everything. So, um, you know, sometimes these books that may you know, have an oblique or not so apparent, uh, obvious kind of view still have, still uh, can verify the Christian worldview for, you know, somebody who's reading it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. The first is, uh, we've been talking about Hollywood. We've been talking a lot about different types of movies, different specific people and stuff like that. Um, so today, do you think the occult is just as prevalent in 2019 movies as it was, let's say, when Stanley Kubrick was writing or when, um, or, or when some of these other people that you focus on in particular in your film, is it just as prevalent today? Has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, if you watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch, you'll say it's right in front of your face. That's on Netflix. So I do think that there's a very, uh, uh, very apparent stream of occultism in some of these shows. So yeah, I would say it's probably just as a, there's just as much of a prevalent segment in the whole film offering of all film offerings today as there was 50 years ago and probably probably 100 years ago. So I would say yes. And what was the second question? Well, there was a second question, right? 
Uh, I was just I was just asking like has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? Well, has it stayed the same? I, I don't. I think it's just still there. You know, whether it's worse, I think it's still prevalent. And I think some of these films are definitely integrating these themes of the occult, kind of like you know what you could do as a Christian, where you're inter, inter, integrating these concepts. I think some of these films are doing the same thing with occult concepts. Hmm. They're they're exposing people to occult concepts. There was a Johnny Depp movie called. Uh, was it trans? It was basically about transhumanism, but it came out on 418, which was Crowley, like it's super esoteric, but it was Crowley's cabalistic number for the, the his, his desire to illuminate the whole world, as in illuminate, illuminati, illuminism. And so, uh, yeah, so it's still there. People are still being exposed to that stuff. Yeah. Gosh, have you had a chance to watch the show The Order on Netflix? No, but I've heard about it. Tell me about it. Transcendence is the name of the Johnny Depp movie. Yeah, that's it. Where he like puts his consciousness into this computer and lives exactly. forever. Yeah. It becomes kind of like a god. It's basically yeah. like a technical apiothesis or whatever. Apotheosis, yeah. Apotheosis. Which is exactly what uh, Aleister Crowley was teaching, right? How do we become as God? <laughs> How do we become which, is God? Satan, which is what Satan's original temptation, right? Yeah. So it's still there. It's still prevalent. It comes through yeah. different parts of the culture, yeah. What and tell I, me about the order? I don't I haven't followed that. Yeah, the reason I bring up the order is because it kind of blends with that question in that I, I think it's becoming more prevalent or maybe just less um, disguised because for example in the order it's a show about this kid who goes to a Yale type uh, university joins a secret society um, who's super into magic with a K um, the, the the main guy creates a golem out of dust and uh, you know so there's all of these occult ac- they're doing rituals on screen so um, they're you know they're raising things from the dead <laughs> they're um, um, and then the other aspect of this show is that this secret order has been fighting this group of werewolves um, for a millennia. And, um, so it's interesting because the guy who joins the magic secret society actually ends up becoming a werewolf. And so he's like pulling, he's being pulled from both sides and the show, it only has one season, but it culminates with, um, him, uh, having his mind erased uh, because of everything that he's learned (laughs) and going back to his dumb old self before he got involved at this Yale type secret society. So it's a, a a this is a recent show that's come out recently, correct? Yeah. It came out uh, earlier this year or late last year. It's, it's super recent and uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's actually other than the magic and there's like no sex or anything. So it's actually pretty clean in that regard, but there is language and there is obviously the occult stuff that goes on. So um, yeah. Well, look at strange angel that that's been out, I think on HBO or one of these other, that's a stone cold, you know, retelling of the story of Jack Parsons, Alistair Crowley's number one uh, disciple in Hollywood. So, and that that guy influenced a lot of people all around Hubbard. So uh, even the founder of the gay movement, who, and I write about that in um, my book, Children of the Beast, used to play the, uh, what is it, the piano or the organ at these ritual meetings. And he went on to be the most important gay rights activist. Harry Hay was his name. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, and there's like an element of Crowleyism that, you know, do what you will through that the inception of, and secret societies at the inception of the gay rights movement. 
Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring Jack Parsons up because, I mean, he obviously influenced L. Ron Hubbard, who has had a great impact on who? Tom Cruise and... Uh, uh, you know, yeah, no, it's a great point. So you, so you want to talk about real people into the occult. You could definitely apply the occult label to Scientology. Stone Cold Occultism, his son, Hubbard's son, said it was, uh, Scientology was black magic drawn out over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about it, it's right in front of your face. You just have to kind of investigate it a little bit. You realize, oh man, these guys are all in the occult. Travolta and Cruz cannot leave the Scientology because once you get up to a certain level, you have to confess all of your deepest, darkest secrets, and they take it and they put it in a file, and yeah. then they ferret it away. And you ever say you want to leave Scientology? They start leaking that stuff, man. Yeah. And so those yeah. guys that have a lot of skeletons in their closets. So Dude, just- I know. That's what I'm that's what I that's exactly what I was thinking too. I'm like, man, Tom Cruise must have done some weird stuff if he hasn't left Scientology yet. We, because- we can talk offline, I'll tell you. <laughs> well then you just you talk about Leah Remini. Like how did she she come out of it and now she's trying to expose it and Well, she's uh, very I really respect her. She yeah. has a lot of courage. And yeah. Oh man, I can't work. imagine what she's gone through. Um, but do you know the like one of the biggest crimes against people is really the rape of the mind, and you see that as part of like the occult history. Is really people get into the occult, but there's a handmaiden or a side thing which is really about mind control. They really, uh, and you see it even in performance like uh, Donald Camel, Alistair Crowley, where they really want to get Jagger. <laughs> yeah, they really want to get in their mind and control them, and I think. That's really what Scientology is, is really uh, a mind control cult that uh, really turns people. I mean, one of uh, Hubbard's axiom, axioms that he would repeat is people are my slaves. And that's exactly what Crowley's idea was in Libra 77, which is the slave shall serve, which comes from a book he says you received from Satan. So uh, you can draw these lines right up to the present, right from Satanism to the present, occultism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I man it's so good um but we're wrapping up on an hour here so I got one last question for you um what's your plans for the future you you writing any more books you're you putting out any more docs or great question I I uh I'm very busy and I've been working on a few things but I've learned not to divulge or disclose anything more you're a smart man (laughs) i mean there's things right now i don't even get into it but stone cold copyright where i have titles of my books that other people have claimed are theirs that's uh, yeah it's off the charts so you gotta really be careful man there's definitely people out there and i'd say this to the listener and to you too i wouldn't share any ideas of what you're working on uh and that's just from personal experience oh okay well I'll be looking out and uh, for what you release and uh, looking forward to it. So, um, but you guys, that wraps up our show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, you can become a, a member of the Daily Renegade. 